The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. To the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. What you hear in the next hour could very well save your life. Now, here's your host, Sharon Kleina. I want to invite you to listen to the Sharon Kleina Hour, The Power of Water. Seven years later with my show, the concerns we've had, I've had for 30 years of research that I have been pursuing is a concern that I've had for over 30 years about the crisis and future of fresh water on our planet. This show is focused on a mission, and that mission is to get the world to listen to the fact that we have to do this together. We cannot do this without each other. This cannot be while you're busy going to work all day and you're doing your different projects and your enjoyments of life and understanding, understandably where we're all enjoying our lives every day. But we do need to focus the number one priority is the fresh water on the surface of the earth is, is the relationship to the atmosphere's water vapor that, that you breathe. You breathe. The moment you were born, you left a pocket of water, you entered into that delivery spot, whether it be under a bush. And at that moment, the atmosphere was your greatest influence to keep you alive. You are no longer living in a pocket of water, but the atmosphere is your water. You breathe it. And you must learn that that is the priority of your focus of life. Whenever you have individuals who say it's the climate, it's the climate change, you need to get them back on the focus of fresh water is at a crisis and the atmosphere is at a crisis and that the, the diseases, the problems we're going to have all over the world are being caused because we are dehydrating too quickly. The fresh water's influence on the atmosphere, atmosphere's water vapor influences your life. From the moment you were born, you began a dehydration process, body water loss, to your passing to death. Earth is at the same cycle. There's a cycle. Earth, from the moment it began the freshwater and life organism on the Earth billions of years ago, it was recycling, constantly cycling. Your body is recycling with your relationship to the atmosphere. Now, I have well teach this every show to remind you, and people have been thanking me for it. Number one. Fresh water in the on the surface is influenced with the atmosphere's water vapor, is giving the earth a chance to breathe moisture, water. 
slow down their life, slow down the death process of dehydration, drought of the earth. It's breathing. The earth is breathing. You need to learn to do breathing exercises. It is vital to pick up on that moisture in the air to give your body the flexibility, detoxification, and, and recycling that your body needs. Number two, you need to drink eight to ten glasses of water a day. If there's a flu virus going around or illnesses going around, and then we've been learning about Ebola, which is coming out of other countries, remember, they have bad water. So remember, you need to drink eight to ten glasses of water. If you need to increase to 12, do it. But it's like Dr. Effie Chow has taught us, drink two glasses at a time and don't worry about going to the bathroom commonly. That detoxifies. So you drink eight to ten glasses of water. This is number two. Number three, start studying your nutrition, what you need. There's new technology being learned about nutrition. It is vital to whatever you eat needs to be digested. Water is a solvent. So as you drink your water, you'll be able to get learn to digest. But you need to be able to digest everything you eat to be able to be a healthier person, not to be susceptible to viruses and bacteria. Number four, moderate exercise. Don't overdo it. If you're an athlete or in training or you're a person who wants to go running every day and has uh, exercise, be careful not to overdo it. It causes a severe dehydration. Make sure you're getting your proper bath because showers rinse, baths absorb and detoxify. Make sure you're drinking plenty of water. The sports drinks don't count. Tea Coffee, juices don't count. It must be fresh, clean, safe water. Number five, sleeping is vital. Earth goes to sleep. Earth takes a moment to rest, to pick up on the hydration, and as it begins, it's recycling, sleeping. But remember, you have to learn how you sleep. What is the secret to you personally sleeping and sleeping well? All five of those will help you live a longer life, a better life, and a healthier life with Earth. And watch how Earth is living the same way with its nature. I'm not going to go on any longer today. We're going to be talking about the Middle East and its water crisis. But I'm going to say this. This came out of Washington, and it was written by Thomas Lippmann. The Middle East's seemingly endless conflicts are diverting attention, and resources from a grave long-term threat that looms over the whole region, the growing scarcity of water, fresh water. And the situation will get worse because it, it, before it gets better, if it ever does ever again. You bet your life it will because I have some projects going on in the future with the, some other areas, other countries, and uh, bringing the planet together, that we are going to say this together. We are not giving up. We're going to do some, learn some new technology, and that will not go on forever. The years of war and careless water supply management have been unchecked. The population growth has been ill-advised agriculture policies. We need to learn more about the technology of how to grow our crops. That's exciting. The subsidies and the encouragement of consumption 
have turned a basic a basicality of a part of the world into a, a, a out of control consumer does not have the water. This has got to be sustainable. Planet Earth has to be sustainable. Why do you think that Libya is having trouble? It's the water. That's where the Ebola is coming from, Ebola. We need these viruses we're hearing about in the United States. This little boy that just died last night, he went to bed with pink eye and woke up. He passed away four years old with a virus. What is the clue? We're going to learn, and we're going to save lives, but also we're going to learn and save the planet. It can be done, and we will do it. Today we have an exciting guest. I'm really looking forward to Fred Pierce. He's out of England. He's a freelance author and journalist. He has spent his life, I truly believe, uh, authoring books and writing as a journalist. Uh, Works like Earth, Then, and Now. He's written uh, potent visual evidence of our changing world and when rivers run dry. Our subject today will be the Middle East. I think you need to learn that we've all, we are all in this together with fresh water is the source of all life. But first, we're going to listen to our sponsor from Biologic Aqua Research, Nature's Tears Eye Mist. Did you know the surface of your eye is 99% water? What is dehydration to blindness? Dry eye. Dry eye to blindness. Nature Series Eye Mist is that supplement to supplement the air. It is the only product like it worldwide, and it's so safe, so exciting, so refreshing. If you're wearing cosmetics, female gals, it, it doesn't even run the cosmetics. It absorbs with just a humidifying mist. We're listening to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist, and we'll be right back with Fred Pierce from London, England. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Listening to the Sharon Kleiner Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to SharonKleinerHour at Yahoo.com. That's SharonKleinerHour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Our guest today is Fred Pierce. He's a freelance author and journalist. He's based in the UK. He is an environment consultant for the New Scientist magazine and has authored many books. Fred, are you with us? Yes, Sharon. Hi. 
Well, thank you for joining us today. Um, I know your time zone is a little different than our time zone, but I, I'm, I thank you for making it possible. Fred, you and I were talking recently, and I was never so fascinated with by anybody who's been dedicated and given themselves to what you're doing, because I have too. Now, Fred, how long have you been working with the uh, subject of water and the concerns of water? I've been writing about water, I guess, for 30 years, a bit more. I started writing about water here in the UK and the problems that we have because we're surprisingly dry here. You kind of think of London being and Manchester and these cities being sort of full of rain and drizzle and smog and fog and stuff, but actually we're quite dry here, so we do have some problems. So I started writing about that, and then I just became fascinated by water as a as a global issue. Because back then, I mean, I'm talking about the 1980s here, really, nobody was... Nobody was writing about water. It just wasn't kind of an issue. It wasn't something that people talked about. Nobody talked about there being mm-hmm. a global water crisis or rivers running mm-hmm. dry around the world, right. any of that stuff. But it's just become such a big issue over the years. I've, I've stuck with it. Good for you. Uh, that's what happened to me, Fred, uh, about 30 years ago. Uh, I'm, I live in Oregon in the United States mm. on the West Coast, and, of course, I'm surrounded by the most beautiful mountains and fresh rivers and, and uh, beautiful uh, location in Grants Pass, Southern Oregon. But all of a sudden, I was studying the stress because of can- I was president of the American Cancer Society, and I found that a lot of people were passing away with exhaustion of stress when they were diagnosed with a very serious disease. And I thought, what could we do to get them to live longer? And then, Fred, I learned that stress is caused with everybody from birth because of the water vapor. The atmosphere is your greatest impact, your greatest influence of your life. So as I began to study that water vapor and then started studying the water on the planet, I no longer took for granted that I was living in this beautiful spot with these fresh rivers. I started studying water in the world and what happened for research to, for so long ago to leave the water behind for our daily health reasons. And the doctors hardly ever discussed there for a while, Fred, drink water. They got away from mm. it. And then they didn't bring up the water at the atmospheric water. The, there was, the word dehydration wasn't in the vocabulary. Well, you're dehydrating to death from birth. That's our life. But that's also yeah, the well, planet. Yeah, we take water for granted so much until, until suddenly it's not there or something goes wrong or it gets polluted or right. something like that. It's, it's because it's, it's all around weird. us. It's weird. It's sad. We, we can't forget it's, about it. We have to, you know, our human lives get to where we're so passive and tell, okay, well, when it happens, I'll take care of it when it happens. That's mm. not the way we should be doing it any longer. And people like yourself and myself and many others around the world that I brought together on a new project I'm working on, we're not going to let that happen. We're going to stop that. Water has got to be the number one focus, fresh water. It's at a crisis. But, Fred, I'm, ter- I'm convinced with all of us together and bringing in more people and the children of the world, we, are going- we should make it a number one focus priority every day and bring people's – but the- it's education, Fred, like what you're doing for us. Tell us about which- when you started noticing 
that fresh water was, was an endangered organism of life because it is an organism of life. It's a species. When, when did well, you learn? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm a journalist. You know, I read, I read the media and I, I sort of keep an eye on, on what's going on. And I began to notice just little stories, not big stories, not front-page stories, but little media stories in the kind of bottom paragraphs of, uh, of the inside pages of the newspapers saying things like, you know, the, the, the Yellow River in China is, doesn't reach the sea now, or the Indus River in Pakistan has dried up. 100 miles from the sea, or the Nile doesn't reach, the world's longest river doesn't reach the sea anymore most of the time. Or in the U.S., the Colorado, do the same kind of thing, the Rio Grande doesn't often right. reach the sea. You know, all, suddenly these great, I mean, I'm a, you know, I'm a geographer, I studied geography at school, and these great rivers of the world, the ones that you learn about in lessons, suddenly they're not strong blue lines that go from the mountains all the way to the oceans. Right. They're dying. They're broken up. They're, they're in bed. They're dying. They're not going to the sea. And that's a really strange... That's when I realized that something serious was happening to water and our use of water around the world. Because this is not an effect of nature or even climate change. It's us taking all the water out, using it all up. And when you start doing that, people downstream start suffering. You are right, and that's what all of us that are joining together on a new project uh, out there in the world is that the fresh water and the the fresh water on the surface of the earth diminishing is it's losing its the, uh, the ability to to uh, to provide the ability for the atmospheric water, the water vapor in the atmosphere to do what it needs to do. To communicate with life on Earth and Earth, what do you, what do they think is causing the, the climate change? The the water vapor in the Earth is what's what's provided by Earth nature to to uh, connect with the atmospheric vapor to have a, the climate decisions. Yeah, I mean, water is a, it, it's, it's, all, it's kind of the ultimate renewable resource, really, because nature does recycle it. It's you know, called, it I call it recycling, and it evaporates and it comes back in the rain. There you go. It comes back right. down again. But yes, you're um, right. we're just using so much of it that we, that cycle's breaking down. Well, and also, I'm a believer and of technology has taught us a lot. So far back, and we're going to be talking today about water in the Middle East, so far back, they didn't have the technology know-how to preserve the water way back in the Middle East uh, so long ago. But today we're learning about recycling. We're learning more technology to preserve the water, to not be absorbing all down under earth and hidden, but how do we, keep, how do we prov- make it possible for the water to be on the surface of the globe coming cl- closer to the way it was, if you, uh, let's say, even 50 years ago? when the waters, and 60 years ago, when the waters on the surface of the globe were a little more abundant than they are today with a uh, communication re- recycling with the atmosphere. We've got to get back to that. Tech- we've got to understand that technology. Uh, they, we, it's a technology, and, and they have to call it a technology. Earth cannot do it by itself. Or we're going to well, lose the planet. We're, we're going to lose we'll do a lot if we give it the chance. But the trouble is that we abuse the, the natural systems 
to such an extent when we build these huge dams across rivers, when we pump out the underground water reserves in the way that we do, pumping it out even from a mile or more underground to produce, to deliver water for irrigation projects for agriculture around the world. When we intervene on the natural cycles on that scale, it's very difficult for nature to kind of do what nature's always done. And at that point, either we do the whole technology and we run the whole water cycle, which we're simply not capable of doing, or we find ourselves in very uh, deep trouble um, the, because nature simply won't deliver. You know, water well, we used to think of as a free resource. But right, it, look how long it took like nature for to do it. Mm. I mean, billions of years ago, it began. And it takes this cycle with the planet, the universe, to work yeah, with well, the cycle and do it. the blue planet, people talk about the blue planet. You know, most of our planet is covered in water. And right. while most of it is, is salt water, a great deal of it is fresh water. Um, but, uh, you know, it shows the scale at which we are um, inter- interfering, if you like, or messing with the, the planet's basic life support systems um, that we're in the kind of predicament that we are. Um, we are, you know, we are messing with the life support systems that keep life going on this planet, and that includes us. Right. Now, the uh, the other thing that I've uh, I've used as a uh, as a poster child is what Singapore has done to recycle, mm. and they got to a point to where they had got in very much concerned that they could have been an endangered country because they needed that water to be independent to them. So they began a technology of recycling. And, uh, Fred, have you ever been to Singapore? Yes, I have. It's very, very impressive. All, all the water that comes off the land, they recycle. And they, re, uh, you know, they, they collect it all up. They collect it in ponds. They collect it in drains. And they, and they move it back through the system so that they can reuse it. Uh, they do desalination of seawater as well. They don't waste any water at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do what many people sort of don't like the idea of. They're, they're recycling their own, their own wastewaters back into drinking water. They clean it up to the very highest standards so it's perfectly safe. But they're basically, you know, taking what comes down the sewer, um, cleaning it up and putting it right back in the reservoir so they can drink it again. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 there's nowhere like it in the world which does it on that scale, which really tries to reuse every drop of water. But it's an island. It's a small city island state, and they don't want to be dependent on their neighbors. They can collect water from a reservoir and a pipeline that comes in from neighboring Malaysia, just across the, the sort of water straits not far away, but they don't want to be dependent on that. So they're phasing out use of water from Malaysia so they can be dependent on on their own water. But that means even though they're an island in the middle of the sea, that means recycling the water that they got all the way. I mean, they have a certain amount of water comes in the rain, but they need to reuse that several times or they simply don't have enough. But Singapore is one of the most technically advanced cities in the world, um, and they are leading the world in, in how cities in future around the world are going to have to treat their water. They're going to have to recycle it. This is where I'm coming from, Fred, and I'm so glad to hear you say that because it's called technology. I'm, I, I studied, uh, I'm behind technology myself, and I, I'm involved in technology worldwide with what I do. 
but mm. there, the word technology is what has to be uh, described what Singapore has done that could become the model, the poster child of yes, what we all should right. be so excited about. It, it is exciting, and, and you could take those... Uh, what the knowledge they've gained, and yes, you, you're right, they were forced into thinking they had to be independent or they wouldn't have it, the water because they mm. were getting to where their water was becoming endangered. And if they had this relationship with Malaysia to buy some water through pipes, but what if in time something would happen to Malaysia's water? What would happen to them? And that's something, Fred, we all need to think about. Let's say in London, they're depending upon some source. Over in uh, China, they're depending upon a source that's influencing India. Over in these different countries of uh, the Middle East, everybody's depending upon what? Everybody has got to be encouraged to become independent. And maybe that's what they meant by oil so far back, is that when you become independent with your own energy, you will not be relying upon somebody else's. Mm. You'll be independent. That's now the water. Water is the number one priority. Yeah, you, you, look at, you look at what happens in the Middle East, and a lot of the, the hidden story behind the politics and the wars in the Middle East, is, uh, they're often about water. If you look at the battles that Israel has had with its neighbors over the last uh, uh, 50 years or so, many of those have really been, they talk about land, and land's of course important, but much more difficult is water. So the River Jordan, um, you know, people do fight there over the River Jordan. The Six Days right. War was partly about the River Jordan. You look what's happening now going on in Iraq with ISIL. You right. look at who, where did ISIL go when it invaded Iraq came out of that those fighters, those horrible fighters came out of Syria and into Iraq earlier this year. They had the first places they headed for were the dams. Right. Because they realize and they're in control of the Mosul Dam or they were in control of the Mosul Dam and a number of other dams. And they they figured that if they could control the dams and control the sluice gates on the dams, they could control that country. And, of course, what's happened since is the Iraqi army and the Kurd fighters and the American bombers and now the British and the French bombers and the others. Um, those battles, are uh, they're about key infrastructure, and there's no more key infrastructure than the dams. That's what and they're why? fighting about there. You know, uh, Fred, have you ever heard the story, and stop me if you have, uh, but... What Saddam Hussein people said, well, there was no weapons of mass destruction when they arrived, but of course everybody thinks he got them over to Syria because he kept saying, we're coming, we're coming. But back to his worst mass destruction was he got very angry at when the tribes joined in when the Russians were there. And he went into those tribal areas and bulldozed all their water where they had died, where they would die. The whole, all those tribes and cultures would die without water. Did you ever hear yeah, that well, story? Yeah, well, he he, um, the, the, he realized after the first Gulf War that um, uh, most of the rebels in his country were hiding out in the Mesopotamian marshes down in the south near the border with Iran, mm-hmm. and. They were hiding in the, I mean, those are the marshes that um, go back thousands of years, and people have lived in them for thousands of years, and some people say, well, that's the origin of the story of uh, the Garden of Eden, and people have different stories. That's exactly what I've heard, too. They're they're, they're ancient, and people have lived there a long time. So he decided 
to try and drain the marshes and to a considerable extent succeeded by diverting the two great rivers in that country, the Tigris and the Euphrates, diverting them away from those marshes. So the marshes dried out and he was able to um, uh, basically destroy the lives of the people down there and force them to flee into Iran and elsewhere. And that's what he was, you know, that's what he was doing. So again, you know, water was just kind of central to the, uh, the politics and the military uh, efforts in that country. Yeah, I've always remembered, and, and thank you, you did that just perfect, to describe it to the audience because... What is the weapons of mass destruction, Fred? Take well, away the um, Colin Powell wasn't talking about dams, but he should have been when he was talking about weapons of mass destruction. Right. No, no. But what I'm saying is, what is it? You, you've got everybody has to find the value in the water, and when any, like you just said, the wars that are going on now, and I have studied this, and I came to an evaluation that it's not anything. I, I, I'm going to say this. It, it, the ideology is not as strong to me as the, the water wars have been going on for so long, Fred, that they're after water. And they, if without the water, the cultures in those Middle East, because it's sand. And is, when I brought these organic farmers on to the show and scientists onto the show, they will say that when, any, when you have soil, that turns to sand. You've lost the microorganism of the life of the soil. It turned to sand. What does that do to the atmosphere, Fred? What ha- what is well, happening it, to any of the waters that are it, left? It drives out in... the atmosphere as well. Exactly, exactly, Fred. So, what do you think is happening to the fear of what's going on in the Middle East? It's fear of of losing cultures and people diminishing. And families, because how are you, how is that going to go on for another hundred years? Well, most most Middle East countries cannot feed themselves anymore because right. of the combination of the lack of rainfall and the number of people there. So they're now dependent on importing food because they can't grow the, their own food, and the reason they exactly. can't grow their own food is is a lack of water. It's it's an absolute. Uh, you know, it's a fundamental fact for the, for the, the water is a nations. crisis for life and death. Yeah, and there are more and more countries like it. We're going to listen to our sponsor. I only do it once in between, and then we're going to come back, and then you're going to educate us again about what you've been learning around the world and these different countries um, of what you think that they need to do, because I personally believe that it can be figured out, but I think I know it takes technology and new ideas. Fred, don't go anywhere. You're valuable. We're going to save some lives. We're going to listen to our sponsor. And when nature tears eye mist with just a mist, did you know the surface of your eyes is 99% water? What is blindness? Dry eye. Dry eye leads to blindness because the eyes must maintain 99% water, the same as we're talking about our planet Earth and life must maintain water. We'll listen to our sponsor, and we'll be right back with Fred Pierce. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. 
Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Listening to the Sharon Kleiner Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to Sharon Hour at Yahoo.com. That's Sharon Hour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Brad, you know, uh, when I'm looking out there studying, because I've been in the medical field with water and studies and technology, understanding the dehydration of the human life on the planet. And you look at the life of the planet itself from the soil and the rocks and, and the mountains and, and you're looking at all the plant life and everything that's living here along with human life depends upon water. And you, you probably have been as startled as I am that the, the, the research, the issues of studying this and, and what had been achieved in the 1800s was left behind in the 1900s. Did you notice that in your research? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, we had some basic technologies for managing water in that time with the number of people that we had. Um, But in those times, you could basically use water once and send it onto the sea and nature would bring it back in the rainfall and you could do it all over again. The trouble is now the, the, the demands that we place on water means that that's not really in much of the world enough. We have to think about not just letting nature recycle the water in its own time through the natural water cycle, but recycling the water ourselves within our, within our cities and across our landscapes. So, you know, we, put, we, we, we drink the water, we use the water, we, we put the water back into the river, and then we have to think about taking it out again before it gets to the sea. You know, the next time the town downstream is going to have to take out the water. We're going to have to think about, as the people are doing in Singapore, recycling the wastewater back to put it back into the reservoir and use it again and not allowing it to flow down to the sea. We're going to have to think as we are with a lot of resources around the world. Think about not using them once and throwing them away, but using them again and again and again. And just as we're having to recycle metals and recycle various other things. And, uh, you know, we're going to have to do it with water as well. It's not that nature doesn't, re- you know, nature does recycle water and it doesn't That's recycle bad. metals, but it does recycle water. But it, yeah. it doesn't do it at the speed and pace that we need it and in the volumes mm-hmm. that we need to deliver um, our requirements now with 7 billion of us on the planet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the body, when I've been studying the human cycle of the dehydration cycle from birth, 
you may have heard when I started the show, and I try to keep that mm. implanted in everybody's memory when I do the show each time. I've been doing it for seven years now, but all of a sudden it dawned on me. When I'm speaking around the country and I've done personal stuff on television and so on, uh, and, and even with children, Fred, they're just in awe. They're, you could hear a pinfall when you start telling people about their body water. Mm. They're walking sponges of water requiring the atmosphere's water vapor to keep them alive. And that's number one, it keeps you alive. Number mm-hmm. two, you have to learn to breathe. Well, what are you breathing? Like earth breeze, moisture from the air. And then we need to learn, like you said, the nutrition are the food source. Well, the food source, they didn't think about new technology not to require uh, so much water. Although, Fred, I did go as far as studying some of the irrigation, and some of the irrigation is maybe necessary because those aquifers below there that may not have had enough rainfall and have going through a lot of dehydration need some sources of replenishing, and that's also what irrigation provides in some areas of the world. It provides those aquifers to be replenished during uh, times of year for irrigation. Yeah, so that's true, you, especially because irrigation systems, that? they don't deliver all the water to the plants. Much of the water goes into the soil and percolates down, and yes, it helps to recharge those aquifers. Exactly. And this is what I said to somebody one time. Now, here in the United States, Fred, you've probably studied this. California is in a crisis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it certainly is. Their number one economy was not Hollywood and the actors and the entertainers. It was their, their agriculture. Mm. I don't know how long it's been since you've driven down the highway I-5 in California and looked at the cracked soil turning to sand. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's while you're in a desert. You know, California is a desert, um, and it it's has to be constantly watered or it goes back to desert. And their original here in the United States, their original at, in California, their original, uh, the first Governor Brown, uh, his son is now a governor, his father since that. But Fred, in the, in the 60s, the Governor Brown of California was all like, like a Singapore. He said, I don't want California to make a mistake and not have the water they need. So the legislature built those canals. Fred, what they did, they thought that little minnow fish in the canal was endangered, so they wanted to cut the canals off for irrigating the fields. But like I said to them when I talked to them later, I said, did you realize the soil is a species, the aquifers below there is a species of organism, everything is alive, you just cause the death of the soil and the aquifers below there are drying up, dehydrating. Yeah, and they, they didn't got, want to well, talk you know, about water, it. Well, water is the basis of well, water is the basis of, uh, of life in the whole of the American West. It's been a huge issue ever since uh, you know Europeans started heading that way. But it's exactly. no more true than than in California. I mean, I, I'm old enough to remember the movie, the ch- movie Chinatown, fabulous movie, and that was all about water, wasn't it? It was about corruption and water and managing water, and you know, water was power and water is money, um, and that's that's. It sure, always in California, has been. Um, and has always been. 
Can I tell you the story? And you probably can help me with it. I'm sure you've studied it. In Europe, where you're living, way back in time, they were, the water was bad. They didn't have the technology and they were getting sick. So they all, they started drinking. The men would drink the hard liquor and the women and the children would drink, drink beer. Well, in Holland, they had heard about, and I've had this on the show with, with these, some of these companies. They heard about in China tea, where you boil the tea and you can drink tea. And at the end of the day, you would not be, um, I guess the Queen of England used to go to bed at night intoxicated that far back because of what they were having to drink. But anyway, the Dutch went over to China and got acquainted with tea. And they brought tea back to Europe. And that's when that, the, the beginning of tea began in er, er, Europe to where they could at least boil the water and drink the tea, and they got away from the hard liquor and the beer, and people became healthier, of course. And along the way, tea became very important to the European countries, but then they obviously started thinking about uh, what to do with water to make it safer to drink water. Along the way, your first companies in the world that became water companies to sell water to drink were some of those companies that began water in neighborhoods and communities where the water was not healthy, so they had to find a way to, for people to drink water. So they started mm-hmm. a business called Water to Sell for Drinking Purposes. Yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm talking to you from London where um, about 150 years ago, um, they thought that these horrible waterborne diseases like cholera and typhoid, they thought they were in the, in the air. They didn't realize they were in the water. And it right. was only when uh, a, a, a doctor famously realized that it was the water that was passing on these diseases in the midst of a really big cholera outbreak in London. And he literally went into the center of town and broke the handle on the pump to stop people pumping up this diseased water. Right. And that began the time when uh, we realized that if you wanted to have people who didn't get sick from these terrible diarrheal diseases, you had to have clean water. And the right. whole sort of world movement to clean water using chlorine or ozone or these other chemicals mm-hmm. and technical treatments to clean up water and make it safe to drink really began from that moment when people suddenly realized that water, as well as being the source of our health and our life, could also be the bearer of killer diseases. Oh, it is. And of course, you know, Africa and other places, they're still uh, trying to apply the technology to, uh, to keep people safe from these diseases. We could almost theorize today with my research into the medical field and what you've been learning in your world and field, is what is happening in Libya with the Ebola. Now, Mm. if you stop and think about those countries are all in a water crisis. Very unhealthy water, very unhealthy sanitation, very unhealthy living. So all of a sudden, these, uh, these viruses begin, bacteria problems. Yeah, I don't think out of uh, from some of the the animals in the jungle. In fact, what well, people talk about fruit bats, they say it maybe come from fruit bats, but um, that's a really strange and very scary disease. I don't think it's waterborne, but well, so many of these diseases water are waterborne. And, and, right. 
Right. They, you know, the theory, I would bet that if we took a group and started studying the, the more complex side of that disease, it'll all lead back to potentially possibilities of bad water too long, not enough water to drink every day, not enough. See, as you heard me say at the beginning of the show, you need to, Fred, drink no less than eight to ten glasses of plain water a day. It's important mm-hmm. to the cells, your trillions of cells. It's a filter system. It's a solvent. It detoxifies. It nourishes, and it's an organism of your life internally. Outside the body of your skin, that is 80 to 90% water, but outside the body, you must depend on the atmosphere's water vapor. I've had a Dr. Effie Chow on here from China who was appointed by President Clinton to teach Chinese alternative medicine to America. Dr. Chow has said, Sharon, she drinks one and two glasses at a time because the first glass goes into the body, the second glass then absorbs into the body even better to be for a better solvent and to uh, provide you the absorption you're needing. And, and you can use this rationalization, Fred, if you had any plant, would you go over and plant, uh, water that plant by a, a sip or would you go over and water that plant by a dose, like a full mm-hmm. glass or a full amount of water? Mm-hmm. You want it to, and I've said, Fred, and I'm bringing some forces together on the planet to study some of this. We're, people are getting excited, all over the world, scientists, in places that know we are telling the truth. It's not an exaggeration. We need to learn these things. I'm a believer. We need to start studying greenhouses and plant life and not depend upon the mouse and the rat totally. Because how you're living in your community, how I'm living over here, how they're living in the Middle East needs to be understood. We need to understand that cycle. And you Mm -hmm. can imagine the fear that is going on in the Middle East with the cultures and the families and the generations, because they are sand for how, Fred, how long, I've never looked into this, how long has there been sand in the Middle East? Oh, pretty much forever, but um, there is probably more sand than there's ever been because of uh, the, 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 the damage that we're doing to soils by some of our farming practices. Exactly, exactly. And like you said in Iraq, the Garden of Eden story, well, look where Iraq is at today. Mm, mm. Yeah, I mean, most of Iraq, those areas that are now now desert, many of them were irrigated thousands of years ago. You know, the ancient Mesopotamian civilization, one of the first civilizations on the planet where they, you know, they invented invented writing and mathematics and so many things, brilliantly sophisticated societies, and those were based on managing water, uh, the water of those two rivers, the Tigris and the Euphrates. They used to call it the Fertile Crescent. It was kind of the beginning of Western civilization, if you like, and it was all based on water, and when... Um, they misused the water and they got salt into their, into their fields and the crops wouldn't mm-hmm. grow because they were misusing the water, messing mm-hmm. with the, uh, doing bad irrigation systems. Then those civilizations collapsed and, uh, you, you see the desert landscapes 
that we see today. Even though they do try and do irrigation there, they've never got back to the level and the sophistication of the irrigation networks that they had thousands of years ago. It's a, it's a, it's well, a it's tragedy that, that it's repeats itself we should in other parts around from. the world. We should be learning from all that. Yeah, we should be. It, and, um, uh, we're very bad at learning these lessons. It's not because it was so long ago that we think, well, that all happened then. Well, it's a learning. It's a learning. Uh, history to me is the most exciting uh, knowledge. Whenever I go to study anything, uh, Fred, I don't know about you, I go as far back as I can get mm. and come forward slowly to get the algorithm of a cycle of what was happening to why, why the behavior and why that all happened with the living organism of what it was doing. Yeah. That's the algorithm to me. So as I come forward, and that's why I've been able to do these technology breakthroughs, is because I'll see things that they've forgotten left so far behind. That, and Fred, it all comes down to common sense. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be a, an unusual vocabulary. <laughs> You know, yeah, I mean, like no, it's fascinating to go back. I mean, the historians, the are, some the historians will tell you that uh, the yeah. earliest civilizations were all what they call hydraulic civilizations. They were based around water. And really it was because when you had to manage, you know, what you, if you were in little villages, the sort of hunting tribes and, and doing a little bit of farming and things, you didn't need big organization. But as soon as you were managing water, um, in a, you know, in a cross on a, on a large landscape, as soon as you're having to manage water and send water in the right direction and keep floods out and so right. on, you needed a much more sophisticated method of government. So many people say that the, you know that the first civilizations were all built around water because they needed to have you know really uh, highly sophisticated ways of organizing their their societies in order to manage water so the water is you know not just the basis of uh, life for us as individuals it's also the basis of um, all the government structures that we have around the world today all the great society the aztecs in mexico and the chinese in north china and the Indians on the on the Indus Valley and the Egyptians on the Nile, all built around water. Brett, look at the, the example of Holland. Mm. Living yeah, more recently, Kilo. absolutely. I mean, the, Holland was a great trading nation, but it organized itself around having to protect itself from the water coming in off the North Sea um, and to build land from areas that had been seas. So, the Netherlands, uh, the Dutch, it's almost literally created a society created out of water, out of, out of the sea. Right. Now, I've had been in Holland, and we had a head of water resources there, and mm. they were saying that the first governments out there in the world were based around government of water. That's and right, you, yeah. Yeah, and you were saying that, and I needed mm. to make that clear with the audience. The original governments were ba- around water, and then you talked... There we've had on here Andrew Sherman, who's you've got to get this book. It's called Harvesting Intangibles to Intellectual Property and Values. Well, when mm-hmm. I had him on here, uh, I brought up um, the technology, and and he said, "Well, Sharon, really, because he talked about water uh, and and farming and, and intellectual property and technology values about how you collect that with your businesses." 
worldwide. But he was saying how, Sharon, do you know, Fred, the first word, technology. And as you know, Fred, words are an invention. Somebody invented a word for a reason. The technology word was used around what you just said, Fred, water. You move it here, you take it there, you utilize it to do this, you, you do all these things. It was water. It was the first description of technology. Mm-hmm. And you were just describing it. But back to the world and water. I, I, I'm on a path, Fred, and I hope you'll join me and join us on this getting these government officials around the world to put water as a first priority and second climate change. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, these windmills are playing, killing birds. The solar system is a little, has not quite done it yet because there's other problems there. But water should be the first priority. Number one. Yeah, water is, water is going to be a very big issue in climate change, not least because most of us are going to experience climate change through changes in water. Exactly. There'll sometimes be rising sea levels, sometimes be droughts, sometimes be floods, sometimes be fields that dry out because the rains aren't falling. We're going to experience climate change more through changes to water than changes to temperature. Exactly. I think that's the truth. There you go. Thank you. Because that fresh water on the surface of the globe is the organism and influence to, for the water and the atmosphere to, to relate. And what does that relate to the atmosphere's climate? Mm-hmm. Whether it be temperature, water vapor coming down for rain, uh, whatever it may be, water should be the n- number one priority. I just did a press release on what they did at the United Nations here from the United States, and I won't mention their names, but they brought up water, uh, climate change, and I said they shouldn't be talking climate change. They should be talking the crisis of water at the United mm-hmm. Nations in mm-hmm. those speeches. It should be the number one. But we only have well, a moment that, left. That, Tell they're, us they're, they're indivisible, those two. Um, you know, as I say, it's, it, we, we only have we a moment worry left. about a degree or two of temperature rise, but the real issue is going to be changes to water, not that. Yes, thank you. We only have a moment left. How do people find your books? Uh, you'll, you'll, you'll find it anywhere. Well, you'll certainly find it online. It's, uh, the, my main water book is called When the Rivers Run Dry. Um, and it's about the global water crisis. It's about my discovery of how, you know, we're seeing the water crisis through uh, when rivers just suddenly dry up. We're just taking so much water out of them. And it's a, it's a journey around the world to see how that's playing out and how water is becoming, I think, the number one issue really in the 21st century for all of us. Well, I hope you join us, Fred, and I hope you and I have can do this again, and I hope that we can talk again, uh, you and I. Uh, Pleasure. There be, there's, uh, I have a new movement going on that I'm going to try to bring the focus of this, and uh, I've been at it for 30 years, you've been at it for 30 years and longer, and we're learning, and there's scientists around the mm-hmm. world that are very prestigious in the research that say they need somebody to lead this campaign water is in a crisis and keep the focus on it. But you have a nice day. Thank you for joining us. I really appreciate your time. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you, and you be well. Bye-bye. Well, we learned a lot, but you're learning about the world out there and what the frustrations have been for so long, for so long. And in the Middle East, it's what Fred is saying. 
there is a crisis with water. And if you'll stop and listen closely in between all the lines of what you're learning, it will be the water is the crisis of what's causing the problems. And you go to where the water is. It's always been with all life on earth. No different than the deer in the forest go toward the water for their drink of water and the animals out there living in the wild. They always go toward the wild to the water. No different than any one of us humans. I want to thank you for listening today, and I want you to embrace your life, but embrace the power of water. It must be. And I want to thank you to also because I want to remind you again, earth is whispering. Never say goodbye. Leave something behind for others to enjoy and, pre- and have the preciousness of, let's say, water. And learn that those children for generations need to know you cared like I care. We're on a mission. I want to thank you for listening, and you be well. Thank you for listening. Join us next week for another edition of the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water, Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel, with an encore Wednesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Remember to visit Sharon's website at SharonKleinaHour.com.